chapter four of the red man's continent by ellsworth huntington this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by jim locke of floyd virginia the garment of vegetation no part of the world can be truly understood without a knowledge of its garment of vegetation for this determines not only the nature of the animal inhabitants but also the occupations of the majority of human beings although the soil has much to do with the character of vegetation climate has infinitely more it is temperature which causes the moss and lichens of the barren tundras in the far north to be replaced by orchids twining vines and mahogany trees near the equator it is rainfall which determines that vigorous forests shall grow in the appalachians in latitudes where grasslands prevail in the plains and deserts in the western cordillera forests grasslands deserts represent the three chief types of vegetation on the surface of the earth each is a response to certain well-defined conditions of climate forests demand an abundance of moisture throughout the entire season of growth where this season lasts only three months the forest is very different from where it lasts twelve but no forest can be vigorous if the ground habitually becomes dry for a considerable period during which the weather is warm enough for growth desert vegetation on the other hand which consists primarily of bushes with small drought-resistant leaves needs only a few irregular and infrequent showers in order to endure long periods of heat and drought discontinuity of moisture is the cause of deserts just as continuity is the necessary condition of forest growth grasses prevail where the climatic conditions are intermediate between those of the forest and the desert their primary requisite is a short period of fairly abundant moisture with warmth enough to ripen their seeds unlike the trees of the forest they thrive even though the wet period be only a fraction of the entire time that is warm enough for growth unlike the bushes of the desert they rarely thrive unless the ground is well soaked for at least a few weeks most people think of forests as offering far more variety than either deserts or grasslands to them grass is just grass while trees seem to possess individuality in reality however the short turfy grass of the far north differs from the four foot fronds of the bunchy sacaton grass of arizona and from the far taller tufts of the plume pampas grass much more than the pine tree differs from the palm deserts vary even more than either forests or grasslands the traveller in the arizona desert for example has been jogging across a gravelly plain studded at intervals of a few yards with little bushes a foot high the scenery is so monotonous and the noon sunshine so warm that he almost falls asleep when he wakes from his day-dream so weird are his surroundings that he thinks he must be in one of the places to which sinbad was carried by the rock the trail has entered an open forest of joshuas as the big tree yuccas are called in arizona their shaggy trunks and uncouth branches are rendered doubly unkempt by sword-like ashy yellow dead leaves that double back on the trunk but refuse to fall to the ground at a height of from twelve to twenty feet each arm of the many-branched candelabrum ends in a stiff rosette of grey-green spiky leaves as tough as hemp 
equally bizarre and much more imposing is a desert stand of giant suheros great fluted tree cacti thirty feet or more high in spite of their size the suharos are desert types as truly as is sagebrush in america the most widespread type of forest is the evergreen coniferous woodland of the north its pines firs spruces hemlocks and cedars which are really junipers cover most of canada together with northern new england and the region south of lakes huron and superior at its northern limit the forest looks thoroughly forlorn the gnarled and stunted trees are thickly studded with half-dead branches bent down by the weight of snow so that the lower ones sweep the ground while the upper look tired and discouraged from their struggle with an inclement climate farther south however the forest loses this aspect of terrific struggle in maine for example it gives a pleasant impression of comfortable prosperity wherever the trees have room to grow they are full and stocky and even where they are crowded together their slender upspringing trunks look alert and energetic the signs of death and decay indeed appear everywhere in fallen trunks dead branches and decayed masses of wood but moss and lichens twin flowers and bunch berries so quickly mantle the prostrate trees that they do not seem like tokens of weakness then too in every open space thousands of young trees bank their soft green masses so gracefully that one has an ever-present sense of pleased surprise as he comes upon this younger foliage out of the dim aisles among the bigger trees except on their southern borders the great northern forests are not good as a permanent home for man the snow lies so late in the spring and the summers are so short and cool that agriculture does not prosper as a home for the fox marten weasel beaver and many other fur-bearing animals however the coniferous forests are almost ideal that is why the hudson's bay company is one of the few great organizations which have persisted and prospered from colonial times to the present as long ago as sixteen seventy charles the second granted to prince rupert and seventeen noblemen and gentlemen a charter so sweeping that aside from their own powers of assimilation there was almost no limit to what the governor and company of adventurers of england trading into hudson's bay might acquire by seventeen forty nine nearly eighty years after the granting of the charter however the company had only four or five forts on the coast of hudson bay with about one hundred and twenty regular employees nevertheless the poor indians were so ignorant of the value of their furs and the consequent profits were so large that after canada had been ceded to great britain in seventeen sixty three a rival organization the northwest fur company of montreal was established then there began an era that was truly terrible for the indians of the northern forest in their eagerness to get the valuable furs the companies offered the indians strong liquors in an abundance that ruined the poor red man body and soul moreover the fur-bearing animals were killed not only in winter but during the breeding season many mother animals were shot and their little ones were left to die hence in a short time the wild creatures of the great northern forest were so scarce that the indians well nigh starved 
in spite of this slaughter of fur-bearing animals the same company still draws fat dividends from the northern forest and its furry inhabitants if the forest had been more habitable it would long ago have been occupied by settlers as have its warmer southern portions and the company would have ceased to exist aside from the regions too cold or too dry to support any vegetation whatever few parts of the world are more deadening to civilization than the forests of the far north near the northern limit of the great evergreen forest of north america wild animals are so rare that a family of hunting indians can scarcely find a living in a thousand square miles to-day the voracious maw of the daily newspaper is eating the spruce and hemlock by means of relentless saws and rattling pulp mills in the wake of the lumbermen settlers are tardily spreading northward from the more favored tracts in northern new england and southern canada nevertheless most of the evergreen forests of the north must always remain the home of wild animals and trappers a backward region in which it is easy for a great fur company to maintain a practical monopoly outliers of the pine forest extend far down into the united states the easternmost lies in part along the appalachians and in part along the coastal plain from southern new jersey to texas the coastal forest is unlike the other coniferous forests in two respects for its distribution and growth are not limited by long winters but by sandy soil which quickly becomes dry this drier southern pine forest lacks the beauty of its northern companion its trees are often tall and stately but they are usually much scattered and are surrounded by stretches of scanty grass there is no trace of the mossy carpet and dense copses of undergrowth that add so much to the picturesqueness of the forest farther north the unkempt half breed or indian hunter is replaced by the prosaic gatherer of turpentine as the man of the southern forest shuffles along in blue or khaki overalls and carries his buckets from tree to tree he seems a dull figure contrasted with the active northern hunter who glides swiftly and silently from trap to trap on his rawhide snowshoes yet though the southern pine forest may be less picturesque than the northern it is more useful to man in spite of its sandy soil much of this forest land is being reclaimed and all will some day probably be covered by farms two other outliers of the northern evergreen forest extend southward along the cool heights of the rocky mountains and of the pacific coast ranges of the united states in the olympic and sierra nevada ranges the most western outlier of this northern band of vegetation probably contains the most inspiring forests of the world there grow the vigorous oregon pines firs and spruces and the still more famous big trees or sequoias high on the sides of the sierra above the yuccas the live oaks and the deciduous forest of the lower slopes one meets these big trees to come upon them suddenly after a long rough tramp over the sunny lower slopes is the experience of a lifetime upward the great trees rise sheer one hundred feet without a branch the huge fluted trunks encased in soft red bark six inches or a foot thick are more impressive than the columns of the grandest cathedral it seems irreverent to speak above a whisper each tree is a new wonder one has to walk around it and study it to appreciate its enormous size 
where a tree chances to stand isolated so that one can see its full majesty the sense of awe is tempered by the feeling that in spite of their size the trees have a beauty all their own lifted to such heights the branches appear to be covered with masses of peculiarly soft and rounded foliage like the piled-up banks of a white cumulus cloud before a thunderstorm at the base of such a tree the eye is caught by the sharp triangular outline of one of its young progeny the lower branches sweep the ground the foliage is harsh and rough in almost no other species of trees is there such a change from comparatively ungraceful youth to a superbly beautiful old age the second great type of american forest is deciduous the trees have broad leaves quite unlike the slender needles or overlapping scales of the northern evergreens each winter such forests shed their leaves among the mountains where the frosts come suddenly the blaze of glory and brilliance of colour which herald the shedding of the leaves are surpassed in no other part of the world even the colours of the painted desert in northern arizona and the wonderful flowers of the california plains are less pleasing in the painted desert the patches of red yellow grey blue white pale green and black have a garish almost repellent appearance in california the flame-coloured acres of poppies in some places of white or yellow daisy-like flowers in others or of purple blossoms elsewhere have a softer expression than the bare soil of the desert yet they lack the delicate blending and harmony of colours which is the greatest charm of the autumn foliage in the deciduous forests even where the forests consist of such trees as birches beeches aspens or sycamores whose leaves merely turn yellow in the fall the contrast between this colour and the green tint of summer or the bare branches of winter adds a spice of variety which is lacking in other and more monotonous forests from still other points of view the deciduous forest has an almost unequal degree of variety in one place it consists of graceful little birches whose white trunks shimmering in the twilight form just the background for ghosts contrast them with the oak forest half a mile away there the sense of gracefulness gives place to a feeling of strength the lines are no longer vertical but horizontal the knotted elbows of the branches recall the keels of sturdy merchantmen of bygone days the acorns underfoot suggest food for the herds of half-wild pigs which roam among the trees in many a southern county of quite another type are the stately forests of the appalachians where splendid magnolia and tulip trees spread their broad limbs aloft at heights of one hundred feet or more deciduous forests grow in the well-balanced regions where summer and winter approach equality where neither is unduly long and where neither is subject to prolonged drought they extend southward from central new england the great lakes and minnesota to mississippi arkansas and eastern texas they predominate even in parts of such prairie states as michigan indiana southern illinois and southeastern missouri no part of the continent is more populous or more progressive than the regions once covered by deciduous forests in the united states nearly sixty per cent of the inhabitants live in areas reclaimed from such forests yet the area of the forests is less than a quarter of the three million square miles that make up the united states 
in their relation to human life the forests of america differ far more than do either grasslands or deserts in the far north as we have seen the pine forests furnish one of the least favourable environments in middle latitudes the deciduous forests go to the opposite extreme and furnish the most highly favoured of the homes of man still farther southward the increasing luxuriance of the forests especially along the atlantic coast renders them less and less favourable to mankind in southern mexico and yucatan the stately equatorial rain forests the most exuberant of all types of vegetation and the most unconquerable by man makes its appearance it forms a discontinuous belt along the wet east coast and on the lower slopes of the mountains from southern yucatan to venezuela then it is interrupted by the grasslands of the orinoco but revives again in still greater magnificence in the guianas thence it stretches not only along the coast but far into the little known interior of the great amazon basin while southward it borders all the coast as far as southern brazil in the amazon basin it reaches its highest development and becomes the crowning glory of the vegetable world the most baffling obstacle to human progress except in its evil effects on man the equatorial rain forest is the antithesis of the forest of the extreme north the equatorial trees are hardwood giants broad-leaved bright-flowered and often fruit-bearing the northern trees are softwood dwarfs needle-leaved flowerless and cone-bearing the equatorial trees are often branchless for one hundred feet but spread at the top into a broad overarching canopy which shuts out the sun perpetually the northern trees form sharp little pyramids with low widely spreading branches at the base and only short twigs at the top in the equatorial forest there is almost no underbrush the animals such as monkeys snakes parrots and brilliant insects live chiefly in the lofty tree-tops in the northern forest there is almost nothing except underbrush and the foxes rabbits weasels ptarmigans and mosquitoes live close to the ground in the shelter of the branches both forests are alike however in being practically uninhabited by man each is peopled only by primitive nomadic hunters who stand at the very bottom in the scale of civilization aside from the rain forest there are two other types in tropical countries jungle and scrub the distinction between rain forest jungle and scrub is due to the amount and the season of rainfall an understanding of this distinction not only explains many things in the present condition of latin america but also in the history of pre-columbian central america forests as we have seen require that the ground be moist throughout practically the whole of the season that is warm enough for growth since the warm season lasts throughout the year within the tropics dense forests composed of uniformly large trees corresponding to our oaks maples and beeches will not thrive unless the ground is wet most of the time of course there may be no rain for a few weeks but there must be no long and regularly recurrent periods of drought smaller trees and such species as the coconut palm are much less exacting and will flourish even if there is a dry period of several months still smaller bushy species will thrive even when the rainfall lasts only two or three months 
hence where the rainy season lasts most of the year rain forest prevails where the rainy and dry seasons do not differ greatly in length tropical jungle is the dominant growth and where the rainy season is short and the dry season long the jungle degenerates into scrub or bush the relation of scrub jungle and rainforest is well illustrated in yucatan where the ancient mayas reared their stately temples on the northern coast the annual rainfall is only ten or fifteen inches and is concentrated largely in our summer months there the country is covered with scrubby bushes six to ten feet high these are beautifully green during the rainy season from june to october but later in the year lose almost all their leaves the landscape would be much like that of a thick bushy pasture in the united states at the same season were it not that in the late winter and early spring some of the bushes bear brilliant red yellow or white flowers as one goes inland from the north coast of yucatan the rainfall increases the bushes become taller and denser trees twenty feet high become numerous and many rise thirty or forty feet or even higher this is the jungle its smaller portions suggest a second growth of timber in the deciduous forests of the united states fifteen or twenty years after the cutting of the original forest but here there is much more evidence of rapid growth a few species of bushes and trees may remain green throughout the year but during the dry season most of the jungle plants lose their leaves at least in part with every mile that one advances into the more rainy interior the jungle becomes greener and fresher the density of the lower growths increases and the proportion of large trees becomes greater until finally jungle gives place to genuine forest there many of the trees remain green throughout the year they rise to heights of fifty or sixty feet even on the borders of their province and at the top form a canopy so thick that the ground is shady most of the time even in the drier part of the year when some of the leaves have fallen the rays of the sun scarcely reach the ground until nine or ten o'clock in the morning even at high noon the sunlight straggles through only in small patches long sinuous lianas often queerly braided hang down from the trees epiphytes and various parasitic growths add their strange green and red to the complex variety of vegetation young palms grow up almost in a day and block a trail which was hewn out with much labor only a few months before wherever the death of old trees forms an opening a thousand seedlings begin a fierce race to reach the light everywhere the dominant note is intensely vigorous life rapid growth and quick decay in their effect on man the three forms of tropical forest are very different in the genuine rainforest agriculture is almost impossible not only does the poor native find himself baffled in the face of nature but the white man is equally at a loss many things combine to produce this result chief among them are malaria and other tropical diseases when a few miles of railroad were being built through a strip of tropical forest along the coast of eastern guatemala it was impossible to keep the laborers more than twenty days at a time indeed unless they were sent away at the end of three weeks they were almost sure to be stricken with virulent malarial fevers from which many died an equally potent enemy of agriculture is the vegetation itself 
imagine the difficulty of cultivating a garden in a place where the weeds grow all the time and where many of them reach a height of ten or twenty feet in a single year perhaps there are people in the world who might cultivate such a region and raise marvellous crops but they are not the indolent people of tropical america and it is in fact doubtful whether any kind of people could live permanently in the tropical forest and retain energy enough to carry on cultivation nowhere in the world is there such steady damp heat as in these shadowy windless depths far below the lofty tops of the rain-forest nowhere is there greater disinclination to work than among the people who dwell in this region consequently in the vast rain-forests of the amazon basin and in similar small forests as far north as central america there are to-day practically no inhabitants except a mere handful of the poorest and most degraded people in the world yet in ancient times the northern border of the rain-forest was the seat of america's most advanced civilization the explanation of this contradiction will appear later tropical jungle borders the rain-forest all the way from southern mexico to southern brazil it treats man far better than does the rain-forest in marked contrast to its more stately neighbor it contains abundant game wild fruits ripen at almost all seasons a few banana plants and palm trees will well nigh support a family if corn is planted in a clearing the return is large in proportion to the labor so long as the population is not too dense life is so easy that there is little to stimulate progress hence although the people of the jungle are fairly numerous they have never played much part in history far more important is the role of those living in the tropical lands where scrub is the prevailing growth in our day for example few tropical lowlands are more progressive than the narrow coastal strip of northern yucatan there on the border between jungle and scrub the vegetation does not thrive sufficiently to make life easy for the chocolate-coloured natives effort is required if they would make a living yet the effort is not so great as to be beyond the capacity of the indolent people of the tropics leaving the forest let us step out into the broad breezy grasslands one would scarcely expect that a journey poleward out of the forest of northern canada would lead to an improvement in the conditions of human life yet such is the case where the growing season becomes so short that even the hardiest trees disappear grassy tundras replace the forest by furnishing food for such animals as the musk-ox they are a great help to the handful of scattered indians who dwell on the northern edge of the forest in summer when the animals grow fat on the short nutritious grass the indians follow them out into the open country and hunt them vigorously for food and skins to sustain life through the long dreary winter in many cases the hunters would advance much farther into the grasslands were it not that the abundant musk oxen tempt the eskimo of the sea-coast also to leave their homes and both sides fear bloody encounters with the growth of civilization the advantage of the northern grasslands over the northern forests becomes still more apparent the domestic reindeer is beginning to replace the wild musk ox the reindeer people like the indian and eskimo hunters must be nomadic 
nevertheless their mode of life permits them to live in much greater numbers and on a much higher plane of civilization than the hunters since they hunt the fur-bearing animals in the neighboring forests during the winter they diminish the food supply of the hunters who dwell permanently in the forest and thus make their life still more difficult the northern forests bid fair to decline in population rather than increase in this new world of ours strange as it may seem the almost uninhabited forest regions of the far north and of the equator are probably more than twice as large as the desert areas with equally sparse population south of the tundras the grasslands have a still greater advantage over the forests in the forest region of the laurentian highland abundant snow lasts far into the spring and keeps the ground so wet and cold that no crops can be raised moreover because of the still greater abundance of snow in former times the largest of ice sheets as we have seen accumulated there during the glacial period and scraped away most of the soil the grassy plains on the contrary are favoured not only by a deep rich soil much of which was laid down by the ice but by the relative absence of snow in winter and the consequent rapidity with which the ground becomes warm in the spring hence the canadian plains from the united states boundary northward to latitude fifty seven degrees contain a prosperous agricultural population of over a million people while the far larger forested areas in the same latitudes support only a few thousand the question is often asked why in a state of nature trees are so scarce on the prairies in iowa for instance although they thrive when planted in answer we are often told that up to the middle of the nineteenth century such vast herds of buffaloes roamed the prairies that seedling trees could never get a chance to grow it is also said that prairie fires sweeping across the plains destroyed the little trees whenever they sprouted doubtless the buffaloes and the fires helped to prevent forest growth but another factor appears to be still more important all the states between the mississippi river and the rocky mountains receive much more rain in summer than in winter but as the soil is comparatively dry in the spring when the trees begin their growth they are handicapped they would grow if nothing else interfered with them just as peas will grow in a garden if the weeds are kept out if peas however are left uncared for the weeds gain the upper hand and there are no peas the second year if the weeds are left to contend with grass the grass in the end prevails in the eastern forest region if the grass be left to itself small trees soon spring up in its midst in half a century a field of grass goes back to forest because trees are especially favoured by the climate in the same way in the prairies grass is especially favoured for it is not weakened by the spring drought and it grows abundantly until it forms the wonderful stretches of waving green where the buffalo once grew fat moreover the fine glacial soil of the prairies is so clayey and compact that the roots of trees cannot easily penetrate it since grasses send their roots only into the more friable upper layers of soil they possess another great advantage over the trees far to the south of the prairies lie the grasslands of tropical america of which the llanos of the orinoco furnish a good example almost everywhere their plumed grasses have been left to grow undisturbed by the plough and even grazing animals are scarce these extremely flat plains are flooded for months in the rainy season from may to october and are parched in the dry season that follows 
as trees cannot endure such extremes grasses are the prevailing growth elsewhere the nature of the soil causes many other grassy tracts to be scattered among the tropical jungle and forest trees are at a disadvantage both in porous sandy soils where the water drains away too rapidly and in clayey soil where it is held so long that the ground is saturated for weeks or months at a time south of the tropical portion of south america the vast pampas of argentina closely resemble the north american prairies and the drier plains to the west of them grain in the east and cattle in the west are fast causing the disappearance of those great tussocks of tufted grasses eight or nine feet high which hold among grasses a position analogous to that of the big trees of california among trees of lower growth it is often said that america has no real deserts this is true in the sense that there are no regions such as are found in asia and africa where one can travel a hundred miles at a stretch and scarcely see a sign of vegetation nothing but barren gravel graceful wavy sand dunes hard wind-swept clay or still harder rock salt broken into rough blocks with upturned edges in the broader sense of the term however america has an abundance of deserts regions which bear a thin cover of bushy vegetation but are too dry for agriculture without irrigation on the north such deserts begin in southern canada where a dry region abounding in small salt lakes lies at the eastern base of the rocky mountains in the united states the deserts lie almost wholly between the sierra nevada and the rocky mountain ranges which keep out any moisture that might come from either the west or the east beginning on the north with the sagebrush plateau of southern washington the desert expands to a width of seven hundred miles in the gray sage-covered basins of nevada and utah in southern california and arizona the sagebrush gives place to smaller forms like the salt bush and the desert assumes a sterner aspect next comes the cactus desert extending from arizona far south into mexico one of the notable features of the desert is the extreme heat of certain portions close to the nevada border in southern california death valley two hundred fifty feet below sea level is the hottest place in america there alone among the american regions familiar to the writer does one have that feeling of intense overpowering aridity which prevails so often in the deserts of arabia and central asia some years ago a weather bureau thermometer was installed in death valley at furnace creek where the only flowing water in more than a hundred miles supports a depressing little ranch there one or two white men helped by a few indians raise alfalfa which they sell at exorbitant prices to deluded prospectors searching for riches which they never find though the terrible heat ruins the health of the white men in a year or two so that they have to move away they have succeeded in keeping a thermometer record for some years no other properly exposed out-of-door thermometer in the united states or perhaps in the world is so familiar with a temperature of one hundred degrees fahrenheit or more during the period of not quite fifteen hundred days from the spring of nineteen eleven to may nineteen fifteen a maximum temperature of one hundred degrees fahrenheit or more was reached on five hundred and forty eight days or more than one-third of the time on july tenth nineteen thirteen the mercury rose to one hundred and thirty four degrees fahrenheit and touched the top of the tube how much higher it might have gone no one can tell 
that day marks the limit of temperature yet reached in this country according to official records in the summer of nineteen fourteen there was one night when the thermometer dropped only to one hundred and fourteen degrees fahrenheit having been one hundred and twenty eight degrees fahrenheit at noon the branches of a pepper tree whose roots had been freshly watered wilted as a flower wilts when broken from the stalk east and south of death valley lies the most interesting section of the american desert the so-called succulent desert of southern arizona and northern mexico there in greatest profusion grow the cacti perhaps the latest and most highly specialized of all the great families of plants there occur such strange scenes as the forests of saguaros whose giant columns have already been described their beautiful crowns of large white flowers produce a fruit which is one of the mainstays of the papagos and other indians of the regions in this same region the yucca is highly developed and its tall stalks of white or greenish flowers make the desert appear like a flower garden in fact this whole desert thanks to light rains in summer as well as winter appears extraordinarily green and prosperous its fair appearance has deceived many a poor settler who has vainly tried to cultivate it farther south the deserts of america are largely confined to plateaus like those of mexico and peru or to basins sheltered on all sides from rain-bearing winds in such basins the suddenness of the transition from one type of vegetation to another is astonishing in guatemala for instance the coast is bordered by thick jungle which quickly gives place to magnificent rainforest a few miles inland this continues two or three score miles from the coast until a point is reached where mountains begin to obstruct the rain-bearing trade winds at once the rain-forest gives place to jungle in a few miles jungle in its turn is replaced by scrub and shortly the scrub degenerates to mere desert bush then in another fifty miles one rises to the main plateau passing once more through scrub this time the scrub gives place to grasslands diversified by deciduous trees and pines which give the country a distinctly temperate aspect on such plateaus the chief civilization of the tropical latin american countries now centers in the past however the plateaus were far surpassed by the maya lowlands of yucatan and guatemala we are wont to think of deserts as places where the plants are of few kinds and not much crowded as a matter of fact an ordinary desert supports a much greater variety of plants than does either a forest or a prairie the reason is simple every desert contains wet spots near springs or in swamps such places abound with all sorts of water-loving plants the deserts also contain a few valleys where the larger streams keep the ground moist at all seasons in such places the variety of trees is as great as in many forests moreover almost all deserts have short periods of abundant moisture at such times the seeds of all sorts of little annual plants including grasses daisies lupines and a host of others sprout quickly and give rise to a carpet of vegetation as varied and beautiful as that of the prairie thus the desert has not only its own peculiar bushes and succulents but many of the products of vegetation in swamps grasslands and forests though much of the ground is bare in the desert the plants are actually crowded together as closely as possible the showers of such regions are usually so brief that they merely wet the surface at a depth of a foot or more the soil of many deserts never becomes moist from year's end to year's end 
it is useless for plants to send their roots deep down under such circumstances for they might not reach water for a hundred feet their only recourse is to spread horizontally the farther they spread the more water they can absorb after the scanty showers hence the plants of the desert throttle one another by extending their roots horizontally just as those in the forest kill one another by springing rapidly upward and shutting out the light vegetation whether in forests grasslands or deserts is the primary source of human sustenance without it man would perish miserably and where it is deficient he cannot rise to great heights in the scale of civilization yet strangely enough the scantiness of the vegetation of the deserts was a great help in the ascent of man only in dry regions could primitive man compete with nature in fostering the right kind of vegetation in such regions arose the nations which first practised agriculture there man became comparatively civilised while his contemporaries were still nomadic hunters in the grasslands and the forests End of chapter four recording by jim locke of floyd virginia